Welcome to Lessons for Life, where we seek to learn, love, and live the Word of God. Now, here is James Long Jr. Well, today I want to talk about a topic area, a problem area that so many people today struggle with, and perhaps you are one of them that struggle with it. And the the problem area is guilt. Guilt is, is something that happens almost like in the courtroom of our lives where we stand before this judge's bar and we are told that you're wrong. You failed. You're you've done evil. You've come short. You're not good enough. Those things that go through your life that dominate you time after time. There's so many of you that here today, I know that probably struggle with the issue of condemnation. And you feel this heavy weight of guilt and and shame that just seems to intersect in your life. And what I want you to do is this. I want you to know that all of us struggle with some level of guilt and condemnation in our lives. And the reason for that is because of brokenness that is here, brokenness that's in the world, but brokenness that's among us as people. And what I want you to know is that there's an answer to your guilt, that there's an answer to your shame, that there's an answer to the struggles that you're going through. That answer is found in a person and his work. There's so many people today that live their lives in great levels of pain, pain from their past, pain from their past of things that they've done wrong or things that have been done to them. And that pain has dominated their lives. It, it affects their perspective on life. It, it influences them in such way and that they are being dominated by things that, that have happened in their past. Or maybe they're struggling with a pain or guilt or issues in their present. And so many of us struggle as well in our present. It may be our past that's influencing our present, or maybe it's just the present that is going through our lives today, but it influences us and influences our perspective. And as long as we keep looking at that thing, it dominates our lives. We're going to feel a great level of guilt. And I want you to know today that there's an answer to it. I want to spend some time learning about that answer today. Will will you join me in that search Well, my name is James Long Jr., and I want to welcome you to this opportunity to be able to talk about this topic area of of guilt, but on a greater level to answer guilt. How do we come to a place where we can find an answer to the struggles that we go through? As I said earlier, guilt lies in a courtroom. It's where, <clears throat> it's where you stand alone and, and you stand before this judge. And as you stand before this judge, the judge says, you're responsible for wrongdoing. You failed. You are guilty. You broke in a standard. Maybe that's what you're feeling today. And as you're feeling this heavy weight upon you, this guilt that seems to be weighing you down, it's this deep feeling of regret or remorse that so many people struggle with today. It's a feeling of responsibility that I have failed or I've created some loss in my life. The guilt and shame, which often intersect, and we'll spend time talking about the difference between the two, but guilt is primarily a courtroom situation. A standard has been broken and you have failed in that way. 
there's a significant difference between a subjective feeling of guilt and the objective reality that you're guilty. The three groups of people in general that I tend to see, one is a person that feels guilty, subjective guilt, because they are objectively guilty. They have failed in some way. They have broken a standard and they know it and then they feel badly about it. That's one group of people. Subjective guilt, objective guilt come together. And God is gracious because he allows that person to feel badly so that they will turn to seek forgiveness from God first and then forgiveness from others. Well, that's the first person I deal with. There's a second person that I deal with where they feel guilty but there is no objective reality of guilt in that particular situation. They live their lives under great levels of bondage and condemnation over things and standards that are not biblical standards, not godly standards. They have not failed in this way, but they are just constantly beating themselves up with that. And what we do is we bring them to the same gospel, the same gospel that we brought the first person to. So to say that you can be forgiven and freed in Christ, the second person, we say, well, you already are forgiven and freed, but you have not failed in this way. You're being drawn away by your perspective. Remember, we were talking about the perspective on their pain, the pain from their past or their pain in their present is influencing their perspective on life. And we want to get them a perspective of what God has done for them in Christ. Well, there's one person who feels guilty because they are guilty. The second person feels guilty, but they aren't guilty. And then there's a third person who feels nothing, but is truly guilty. They have failed in many ways, broken God's law over and over and over again. But what they do not feel any remorse. They do not feel any sadness over their sin. They need the gospel as well. They need the Holy Spirit to invade their hearts, to open their eyes, to help them to see where they failed. But guilt is heavy in many people. And so whether it's subjective guilt or objective guilt, what we bring them to is a person. See, in essence, my counseling comes down to this. We look at people who are in their pain, in pain, and they're in pain because of things in their past where they have failed or pain because of what other people have done in their past oftentimes. And it's either the things that they've done or other things that, they, that other people have done to them that is causing them pain and struggles. And that pain has influenced their present situation and influencing their present situation influences their perspective on life. How they see their life is through the pain the pain of their hurt from their past or the pain of their guilt from their past. And that influences their perspective. And the way I try to help people is the way I want to help you today. I bring them to a person. I tell them about principles and promises, and then I give them a path to change. I tell them about a person. Who's the person? The person is the Lord Jesus Christ. He lived a life we could never live. He died to death in our place. He stands, he rose victoriously from the grave. He is at the Father's right hand for us, interceding for us, our great high priest. And I want to bring them to a person. I want to talk to them about the gospel. I want to talk to them about God's holiness, humanity's sinfulness, and God's answer for that in Christ. I want to talk to you about that today as we look at guilt. And then I also talk to them about principles and promises from God's word. I, I, I bring them back to God's word, not being led by the world and not being led by their own passions and their flesh. What I want them to learn is what God says about particular topic areas like guilt and the answer to guilt. 
justification. And so I want to give them the principles and I want to give them the precious promises, hundreds upon hundreds of promises in God's word that, that we desperately need to deal with the struggles that we go through. So the pain from their past, whether it's because of the things that they've done or things that were done to them or by them, influences their perspective on life. And I want to give them an answer, a person, principles, and promises. And then I want to give them a path to change. And what's the result? The result is peace and hope and joy in their lives. I want that for you. So I deal with people who have struggled. Give them a person. Give them principles and promises. Give them a path for change so that they can have peace, hope, and joy in their lives. So if we're looking at the topic of guilt, there's so many people that struggle with it today. They struggle with it because they find themselves dominated by guilt. Guilt is a moral standard has been violated. And then they feel levels of guilt because they know that they've done wrong, or maybe they don't feel levels of guilt, but they still have done wrong. True guilt is caused by our sin. It caused by our failure. And what God has done for us is he allows the pressure of that to come into our lives so that we will run to the only solution. The only solution is found in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Guilt permeates us. It permeates our society. It dominates us. But what we have a tendency to do in our society is that we tend to do one of three things with our guilt. First, we tend to avoid our guilt. We deny it. We just deny that we are feeling this way. We stuff it down. And there's so many people today that feel guilt, but they just stuff it down. They deny it. They play like it's not there. They avoid it. There's a second way that people deal with their guilt. And the second way that people deal with their guilt is to avert it, to blame others. It's something that we've done from the very Garden of Eden. And in the Garden of Eden, God came to Adam and Eve, specifically to Adam as the leader, after Adam and Eve had sinned, you remember God had placed them in this beautiful garden. And in this beautiful garden, God had given them a perfection when it came to a relationship with each other, or a perfection when it came to a relationship with the natural world. And then even God himself walked with humanity. And it was that way until another counselor had come in and gotten a hold of their minds and influenced them to doubt the word of God, doubt the character of God, doubt the authority of God. And when they took this fruit and, and ate it, they, they felt shame, which they covered up and guilt, which caused them to run away and blame and fear, which caused them to hide the shame they covered up. The fear caused them to run and hide and the guilt they blamed. Well, God pursued Adam. And as he pursued Adam, he says, Adam, where are you? Now, God already knew where Adam was. You'll see this in Genesis chapter three. And why is God asking the question? What he's trying to do is to get Adam to confess, to repent. That's what he does with us as well. And what Adam did amazingly was this, instead of repenting, instead of owning his sin, what he did was he blamed horizontally, averting, blaming, and he blamed vertically. He blamed Eve, the woman, and then he said that you gave to me. He blamed Eve, and then he blamed God. But we do the same thing today. Let's be honest. We live our lives day after day looking to avoid our guilt or to avert and blame our guilt on somebody else. But there's a third way that humanity tends to deal with their guilt. They tend to deal with their guilt by anesthetizing their guilt. 
to kill the pain, to sedate it, to numb it. And that's why we have people that are struggling with, with sexual sin or drugs or alcohol. They get caught up in work. It's, it's something to satisfy and sedate this pain that they go through. And they think that if it's going to be a possession or a pleasure, that once they receive this and get this, then they'll feel better. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's me. Watch this quote by Richard Lovelace. He said this, Christians below the surface of their lives are guilt-ridden and insecure and draw the assurance of their acceptance with God from their sincerity, their past experience of conversion, their recent religious performance, or the relative infrequency of their conscious willful disobedience. Do you see it? Lovelace was saying that below the surface of our lives, we are guilt-ridden. We feel insecure. And what we're doing is we're feeling more secure in the fact or feeling a level of assurance by the fact that, well, I accepted Christ, okay? Or, well, I, I look back to my past conversion, okay? Or my religious performance, okay? Okay. Or maybe the relative infrequency of my willful conscious disobedience. But below the surface, people feel guilt-ridden. The Bible is constantly telling us and repeatedly expressing that the fact that God will judge and punish sin. It's all over. In, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, it says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you will also reap. In Exodus 23, 7, God says this, I will not acquit the wicked. In Nahum, Chapter 1, verse 3, it says this, the Lord will by no means clear the guilty, leave the guilty unpunished. Or in the New Testament in Romans, chapter 1, verse 18, it says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The Bible says that we are at war with God. I know we may not feel that at times, but for those of us that are outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, outside of a personal relationship with Christ, we are at war with God. There is a, there's something that happens within us. In Romans chapter 5, verse 10, it says, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now we are reconciled, shall we be saved by this life? I want you to think about this, that outside of God, there's a rebel that's within us, and that rebel is causing us to be at war with God. And what God says is this, that he is going to judge all of the sin in this world in one of two ways. He will either judge it on the person that has committed it, or he will judge it on the substitute of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So 2,000 years ago, when Jesus Christ lived this life and he walked on this earth, what Jesus did for, for those who would trust in Christ is this. He lived a life we could never live. He died a death that we deserve as God poured out his anger upon his son for you and for me if you trust in him. Love this passage in Isaiah chapter 53. It says, surely he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep 
have gone astray. Every one has turned to his own way, but the Lord, the Father, has laid upon the Son the iniquity of us all. What God says is this, is that he will judge sin. He will either judge it on the person or he will judge it on his son, a substitute. Divine satisfaction will come through a divine substitute, as John said, John Stott says, through the person and work of Christ. You will either accept Christ as your savior and accept his wrath averting work to deal with your guilt, or you will take it on yourself. One author put it this way, God, on the other hand, is perfect, infinitely holy, absolutely flawless, and thoroughly righteous. His justice must be satisfied by punishment of every violation of the law. And the due penalty for our iniquity is infinitely severe. Eternal damnation must be the only answer. Nothing we can offer God could possibly atone for our sins because the price of sin is way too high. See, there is a holy God and a standard that he has laid out for us. And we come short of that standard, as Paul says in Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, God demands and he delights in perfect obedience, perfect obedience. He demands sinlessness. He demands perfect righteousness. But our sorry estate, if that's God's demand, our sorry estate comes up so much lower than that. We are sinners, not because we do wrong things, but we are sinners because of the very nature of sin that is in our hearts. We sin because we are sinners. We are broken. God hates sin, and therefore all sinners outside of Christ are enemies of God, and God will punish every sin. He, he will take sin, and he will respond with sin. To res- he will respond to sin with an immutable and eternal hatred. God hates sin. God's justice is so certain. It's inflexible. It always prevails. All sin, without exception, will be punished. God's holiness, God's just standard, our sorry estate, You know, throughout human history, there are two lines of belief regarding what we are going to do to accept, to get acceptance by God and approval by God. Two lines. And the two lines that have been there since the very beginning is that we will either be saved by human merit, our ability, our character, our conduct, or we will be saved by a substitutionary sacrifice. There are some that believe that they will receive acceptance and approval by God from the works that they do and the character and conduct of their lives. And then there's some that will trust in Christ alone. I dare say in our modern church today, there are far too many people that believe that they're going to be able to deal with their guilt and their shame by their own character or their own conduct. And they're going to fail because the weight is going to be so heavy in their lives. Where are you at? See, Satan's plan has always been there to distract and to distort the word of God, to distract and distort the character of God, and to distract and distort the very authority of God. And what he has been doing since the last 2,000 years is to get people to be distracted from the cross of Christ and his work. And what he wants to do is to distract you so that he will cast doubt in your life. And when he can distract you and cast doubt in your life, he will distort. He will get you to distrust Christ, and he will lead you to deny him. See, our problem 
we boil it all down, is moral corruption. We're broken. There's guilt. There's condemnation. We are alienated from God. That's us. Our desperate need, your need, my need, our desperate need is a new nature. We need a new nature. I need to, instead of the corruption, I need a new heart. Instead of guilt, I need forgiveness. Instead of condemnation, I need acceptance. And instead of alienation from God, I desperately need, and you desperately need, reconciliation. Our struggle, our problem, our guilt has led God to a a grand solution, God's solution for this. God, before this world was ever created, had planned to send his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Before we had ever fallen as a humanity, God had already planned to send his son. The divine counsel, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit came together and said, this is our plan. And his solution to your guilt, his solution to your condemnation, his solution to the heavy weight that lays upon you is justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Let those words so saturate your mind. Let your mind so bathe into the the beauty of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Let's talk a little bit about that today. Justification is an act of God's free grace to sinners. Listen to this passage in Romans chapter 3, verses 22 to 25. It says, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. In Romans chapter 4, verse 5, the next chapter, it says, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteous. So the first thing I need you to know is that God gives us justification, and it's an act of God's free grace to us. The second thing I want you to know is that in justification, God not only pardons all a person's sins, but he accepts them as righteous in his sight. It's not only that you are viewed as not guilty, you're viewed as righteous in his sight. Listen to this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. It says, in Christ Jesus, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses sins against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So he saved you. Now he wants you to go out and share what he has given you. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him, Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, hear that. Hear that. That this great exchange that had taken place, Christ took your place. You get his place. He took God's anger and wrath for your sin. You get God's pleasure for Christ's righteousness. This great exchange. Justification is so beautiful because it is God declaring you not guilty, but also declaring you innocent, righteous in his sight. 
There's a third thing I want you to think about, but justification is not based on the character or conduct of the justified person, but it is strictly according to his mercy, his kind grace, and it's based on the character and conduct of Christ alone, his righteousness, and the redemption that is provided for us in his blood. In Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, it says, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and by the renewal of the Holy Spirit, who he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That what, what God has done for you is it's not based on your character or your conduct. It's based on the perfect character and the perfect conduct of Christ, that Christ lived every day from the womb all the way to the grave, perfect and righteous. Because in the womb, you and I were sinners, but Christ was righteous. In, in, as an infant, you and I were sinners, but Christ was righteous. As toddlers, we were sinners, but Christ was righteous. As Children, and as adolescents, we were sinners, but Christ was righteous. As adults, we are sinners, but Christ was righteous. Christ lived every day perfect and righteous, and that has been credited. His character and his conduct has been credited to you. Don't live under the heavy weight of guilt any longer. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to his riches in his grace. The character and conduct of Christ has been counted to you. This is the fourth thing I want you to consider is this, that in justification, the merit of Christ's righteousness and obedience has been credited to you. Imputed is a, a theological word, but it basically means that it's been credited to your account. You had an overdrawn account, and, and then a credit comes into your account, and your account has now showing a positive balance. Well, in that way, we had an infinitely negative balance in our righteousness account. Christ has not only dealt with that deficit, but then he has applied an infinite level of his righteousness into the account. And we are justified. We receive his imputed righteousness, his credited righteousness, which is coming to us as a free gift. In Romans 5, verses 17 through 19, it says this, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigns through the one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and his free gift of righteousness reign in the life through one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, Christ's life, leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man, Christ's obedience, the many will be made righteous. What a beautiful word. Now, what we see is that what Jesus did for us, he is credited God the Father has credited the righteousness of Christ upon you. So every day that you live with that heavy weight of guilt and constantly beating yourself up over sins that you've committed in the past, and you remember the pain from your past or the pain of what other people have done to you, what I want you to come back to is this. I want you to come back to the cross. I want you to come back to Christ. I want you to come back to the empty tomb. And I want you to come back to a righteousness that has been credited to you. 
The fifth thing I want you to think about is this, that Christ fully and completely satisfied the justice of God on your behalf if you're a believer. That it says in 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 through 6, it says, for there is one God and there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. See, Christ fully and completely satisfied the justice of God. When Jesus Christ hung on a cross and he bore the wrath of God for your sins, if you trust in him, that, that what Christ did when he said it is what? Finished. It is finished because he poured, he took it all the way to the end. What God would have poured eternity in hell upon you, he poured that hell upon Christ. All of his anger, all of his wrath for your sins was poured out upon Christ. And Christ fully and completely satisfied. There is no purgatory. There is nothing that we need to continue to do to purge our sin, to make ourselves righteous before God. Christ has already done that for you and for me. It's done. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 19, it says, Knowing that you were not ransomed from feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish or spot. What Satan is going to look to do, he, he tends to do two things with believers. He will tend to tempt you and he will tend to accuse you. He will find your areas of weakness and he will tempt you. But then the second thing he will do is he wants to accuse you. He wants you to believe that this is not true. He wants you to doubt the word of God, doubt the character of God, doubt the authority of God, doubt the cross of Christ. I need you to know that Christ redeemed you. He completely and fully satisfied the anger and the wrath of God. There is therefore now no condemnation. Who will ever justify us like Christ can justify us through his work? The sixth thing I want you to consider is this. The only condition for justification by faith alone is faith alone, I should say. The only justification is faith alone in Christ alone. Faith in Christ is the only condition for receiving this justification. But even there, that is given to you as a gift from God. In Ephesians 2, it says, in verse 8, it says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And that is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It, it says, saved by faith. And it says, but even this is not of your own doing. That you've been given righteousness, you've been given justification, and the plan is through, or the instrument is through faith. And even that instrument through the conduit that we receive this of faith, we receive this as a gift from God. God has given us the gift of his son, the gift of righteousness, and even the conduit, the instrument that we receive this is given to us as a gift. It's all of him. And therefore he gets all the glory. He gets all the praise. He gets all the worship. It's not about us. It's about him. It's not about us. It's about his son. See, that's the beauty that the guilt, the heavy weight that you feel, the condemnation has been lifted above, above you. I want you to also think about this. Number seven, redemption and forgiveness are a matter of God's free grace. And it's an unmerited gift of his love. It is an unmerited gift of his love. 
In Ephesians 1, 7, it's in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, that God has poured this upon you. So I want you to hear this today. Hear this from me. On the authority of scripture and the person and work of Christ, you're declared not guilty. On the authority of scripture, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're accepted in his sight. On the authority of Scripture and the person and work of Christ, you're not guilty. On the authority of Scripture and the person and work of Christ, you have been accepted in his sight. On the authority of Scripture and the person and work of Christ, you were graced. On the authority of Scripture and the person and work of Christ, you were forgiven. On the authority of Scripture and the person and work of Christ, you have been reconciled. On the authority of Scripture and the person and work of Christ, you have peace. On the authority of Scripture and the personal work of Christ, you've been adopted into his family. You are forgiven. You are free. You have fellowship with God, all wisdom and insight, inheritance. You've been changed. You've been sanctified. You've been glorified. You have been set free in the person and work of Christ. See, if you fully trust in Christ alone, you're justified. By faith, through grace, by grace, through faith, because of Christ alone. On the other hand, if you're here with me today on the authority of Scripture, I can tell you this that if you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're morally guilty. On the authority of Scripture, if you never trusted in Christ alone as your Savior, you're under a curse. On the authority of Scripture, because you haven't trusted in Christ alone, you lay under condemnation and alienation and separation from God. And on the authority of Scripture, because you haven't trusted in the personal work of Christ, there is no hope. But I want you to know today that if you're breathing today, if you're here today, and if you are alive today, there's still the possibility for you to have faith and hope. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. There's a line in a hymn. It goes, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. The heavy weight of guilt that you're feeling, the shame, the condemnation that you're feeling, if you're feeling it today, that means that you're alive, that the Holy Spirit is maybe wooing you to, to come to Christ today, trusting him today. See, our response to this problem and this response to this wonderful solution that we have in Christ is this. Justification is this legal declaration that you are not guilty. God declares you to be righteous in his sight. You have no penalty to ever pay for your sins ever again. It's not that you're merely neutral in God's eyes. You are righteous in his eyes. You're declared right before him if you trust in his son. If you lean on his grace, if you come to him, what you do is you renounce your works, your character, and your conduct, and you rely fully on the person and work of Christ alone. So perhaps you're living here today and you're struggling with guilt, and the guilt seems so heavy and so heavy laden right now in your life. Jesus had said this in, in Matthew 11. I'll close with this. He says, Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will what? 
I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly, and you will find rest for your souls. For my burden is easy and my my yoke is light. What Jesus is saying is this, that come to him. Right now, today, if you've never trusted in Christ alone as your Savior, come to him. Come to his cross. Plead the fact that you're a sinner. Recognize that it's your character and conduct have been constant failures, but Christ's conduct and character has been perfect. Turn to him. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim, whether it's your sins from the past or your present, or the things that have been done to you in the past or the present will look strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. But for the many of you that do trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, I say the same thing. Focus on Christ. Satan wants to distract you and distort things. Your flesh wants you to do the same. And I want you to run to the cross, run to the empty tomb, and remind yourself of a risen Savior. He is seated at the Father's right hand today. He is interceding for you today, and he's pleading his blood upon you today. Take a long, deep, meditative, pondering look at what Christ has done for you and help us to honor him and glorify him. You've been pardoned from your guilt in Christ alone. Would you pray with me? So, Lord, I thank you that it was because of Christ alone that we have been pardoned and Christ alone we have been forgiven and Christ alone we have been freed. The Father, your holiness and your righteous standard, we have failed. And there's such a great gap in our lives. And Father, we've tried to fix it through human responsibility, human achievement, and we fail. It's our character and our conduct that just doesn't measure up. It never has and never will. That's why we need to run to somebody else whose character and conduct is perfect and righteous. And that's your son. I thank you that he lived a life that we could never live. I thank you that he died a death in our place. I thank you that he rose victoriously from the tomb. And I praise you for the fact that he ascended. He's seated at your son's right, your father, you, the father's right hand right now. I pray your Holy Spirit would work in people's lives and open eyes and transform us. Father, for the guilt and the condemnation that is here, I pray that we would hear the precious words that Paul wrote in Romans. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Pray that you pour that blessing upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Blessings. This has been Lessons for Life with James Long Jr. We hope you've been blessed. For more information, go to jameslongjr.org.